It starts with you teaching it and you modeling it, and then they live it out. They see you live it out, they hear you teach it, and it's not just one conversation, right? It's an ongoing teaching, it's an ongoing discipleship. It's you living it out and then praying that when they have that opportunity, they'll be faithful too. That's what I'm praying for my kids is they'll see that passion in me. One day when they're 18 or 20 and someone else is trying to tempt them to desert the Lord, to leave the Lord, I want them to have that conviction to say, where am I gonna go? Yeah. This world can't give me what Christ can give me. Right. He has the words of eternal life. No YouTube video is doing that. But it starts with us teaching it and living it without the hypocrisy. When we do that, when we're consistent, the majority of the time we see faith passed down to the next generation. I want to point my kids to godly men and women today. Most importantly, I want to live a life of faith where I can look at my children and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Dr. Williams, we both work in ministries mm -hmm. that, that really center around the family. Yeah at the end of the day, whether we're running hard after men who happen to be fathers or mm -hmm. stepfathers or whatever it is, we want men to lead well, not just in the world, not just in the mm -hmm. church, but really, really in their homes. Yeah. And I was reading a, a recent study that came out of Orlando. So it was Jim Davis and his group. It's called The Great Dechurching. Since the shift after the Civil War, the next biggest spiritual move in our country's history is taking place right now. Over the last 20 to 30 years, we've seen 40 million people walk away from the church. They're not going to the church this time. They're leaving the church. They're leaving the church. So right after the Civil War, biggest move ever to the church. Today, it's two and a half times that, leaving. but they're leaving the church. Mm. When these, and Jim calls it the great de-churching mm -hmm. that we're experiencing in the West. When they surveyed those that are de-churching, the number one reason why people weren't sticking with the church, largely why they weren't sticking with their faith, was that they said the home that they grew up in, the church that they grew up in, the people they watched, they never practiced what they professed to believe. Mm, there's hypocrisy. Rampant hypocrisy. In the home, in the church. That's it. And that led them away It led from them the Lord. away. So as soon as they could, when they came of age, where they were able to make that decision yeah. or they had the freedom, they just abandoned it. Ho-scaled, abandoned it. Wow. Because they didn't see what people professed to believe line up with how they behaved. And as I read, as I was reading the book, looking at all that, I couldn't help but think about Eugene Peterson. Great pastor, man of faith, wrote the Message Bible. I heard Eugene Peterson one time say that all of the Christian life is a life of congruency. Hmm. He said his biggest thing in life was trying to be congruent, lining up what he yeah. professed to believe with how he lived. Just faithful, which I, I love the way you put that. I was thinking about this show and I was looking for a good definition of hypocrisy. Hmm. And the one I found that I really liked was Kevin DeYoung said hypocrisy is the gap between our public persona and our private character. Wow. And like you're talking about Eugene Peterson saying, those need to align, right? Yeah, we're, we're saying one thing in public. We're presenting ourselves a certain way. We want people to think, oh, he's a good guy. He's a faithful Christian. But then behind closed doors by ourselves, that character's not there. And, right. and that's the hypocrisy is that gap there. We're, we're missing it. That's it. Missing, you know, what did Jesus describe? The whitewashed tombs. Yeah. Right. It looks good on the outside. Everybody else would look, come by those tombs, say, oh, look how clean, look how pure that is. But we know inside is just dead bones. That's right. And that's the hypocrisy is when we try to look good on the outside, but there's this gap between that and the reality of the dead bones yeah. of, of, of our private character. Yeah. Yeah. And let's acknowledge, right, leaving your faith, leaving the church, whatever it is, 
because there's hypocrisy. Right. That that's a cop out. The church, my home, your home, it's full of imperfect people. Yeah. There there's only one perfect being, and that right. was King Jesus. That's right. Right now, we're trying to live like him. Yes. We're trying to be like him. We're trying to more and more conform to his image. But none of us this side of heaven are perfect. No. So I want to acknowledge on the one hand, man, it's a cop out to say I saw hypocrisy, yeah. so I left. Right. Right. Because we're all hypocrites to some degree. Right. And, and in Christ, we don't see hypocrisy. We, we see goodness and faithfulness and mercy right. and love. And so to leave Christ because of this guy's sin, That's right. one day we're standing in front of Jesus and it'll be like, well, you're supposed to follow me because of who I am. That's it. You know, not because of what everybody else is doing, right? That's it. Yeah, that's it. But with that word. Yeah, with that acknowledged, the other side of that is we should be striving to be like yes. him. Yes, <laughs> and we need to be that example. That's it. You know, you brought up the de-churching research showing the negative impact of hypocrisy in the home. Christian Smith, I know you and I have talked a lot about his book a few years ago, Handing Down the Faith. Yep. So he's a sociologist professor out of Notre Dame University, wrote the big book in 2004, Soul Searching, yeah. coined the phrase Moral Therapeutic Deism. Yep. But his book, Handing Down the Faith, he did this research with hundreds of families trying to figure out what needs to be present in the home in order for faith to be passed down to the next generation. And he made a list of seven crucial trends that when these are present, we see faith passed down. Now, again, we understand Jesus is going to save who he's going to save, right? That's right. So we, we can't save our kids, but we can be faithful, and God does use that faithfulness. The, the seventh crucial trend that he wrote in his research was, in homes where faith is passed down, the parents did practice what they preached. Right. So it's kind of the positive side of that, that if when we avoid the hypocrisy, and again, that doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means when we sin, we repent, we own it. And so when we are the same at home that we are in front of everybody else, when there's not that gap between our public persona and our private character, our kids see that. Yeah. And it, it makes Christianity attractive to them because they see, oh, this is real for you. Because in his same book, Christian Smith says, when the only time your kids hear you talk about the Lord is on Sunday mornings when you're yelling at them to get their shoes on for church, and then the second that church is over, you shift your conversation to football, and they don't hear about the Lord again from you till next Sunday, he goes, what that communicates to them is that this stuff doesn't really matter that much. Wow. But when you're living it through the week, he said, and, and you talk about it at home, and they see you reading your Bible, they see you in prayer, that communicates to them this stuff matters, and it matters a lot. I love, brother, I loved how we've just jumped right into this. You know, one of the things you said is we're not going to be perfect. So as parents, we're going to fail. Mm. Some of us may even fail daily. Yeah. But that doesn't define us, right? right? That actually gives us an opportunity to practice biblical yes. principles, yes. right? Because when we do fall short, we can repent. Mm -hmm. We can ask for forgiveness. I'm just thinking back as a husband and as a father, some of the greatest moments of spiritual growth in my own life, certainly mm -hmm. in my home, is when I'm going to my wife and asking for forgiveness yeah, and my children good. are seeing it. That's good. When I'm going to my children and repenting and they're seeing me practice, not just the victories in Christ. Like yeah. it's easy to practice those. It's easy to celebrate those. But they're seeing me practice things like forgiveness, repentance, yeah. mercy, Confession. Right? Confession. I think about, there, there are a couple of cats in the Bible, right? Job, King David. The Bible says they were blameless and upright. Mm. Now, how could a guy like David yeah. be blameless? Yeah. I mean, my man's having people murdered, <laughs> sleeping around. Yeah, like, like, it, like it's crazy. But when you look at the root word there, 
it's where we derive our math term integer from. Mm. It's an undivisible number. It's mm. undivided. They're the same people, right? Mm. Job and David were blameless because yeah. when they did sin, they were quick to confess it. Yeah, we they see David, right? Confronted by Nathan, right? Psalm 51, puts it all out there, confesses. My sin was so heavy, he oh, said, yeah. like I couldn't even breathe, right? I had to get it off, right? Mm. A blameless man in the Bible isn't a perfect man, no. but it's a man who's willing to go before God, go before the Lord, right. and be free of his sin. And then that becomes confession. that example they need. That's yeah, it. it's not an example of perfection, but it's an example of faithfulness. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners, and yet five times in his letters, he tells the church, imitate me. Come five on. different times. That's so and, and it's not a prideful thing. He's not saying, everybody be like me. I, I say that when I'm driving. I'll tell my kids, why can't everybody just drive the way I drive? You know, it'd be yeah. such a better city if everybody just drives the way I drive. But Paul, it's not coming from pride. He's, he just knows if I'm your spiritual father, you need an example to look to, and I need to be that for you. That's so right. follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And as parents, and, and especially fathers, we got to be that. We got to say, look, kids, I'm not perfect, but I love Jesus and I'm chasing him and I'm going to be faithful to him. And when I fail, you're going to hear me repent quick, own it quick. So imitate my example when I get it wrong. Imitate my example in the days I get it right. Just follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. So I think that's one definite way. If we want to beat back this monster of hypocrisy, mm -hmm. right? So when my children come of age and when they set out into the world and let's say one, two, three, all of them don't run hard after King Jesus. I don't want to be their excuse. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to be their excuse. So what you're saying is so good. To beat back that monster of hypocrisy, the first thing we need to admit first to ourselves and then to our family is, hey, we're not perfect. No. We follow a perfect king. Yeah, there you go. But we're not perfect. And God is less concerned with what I'm doing. He's more concerned with who I'm becoming. Mm, uh, and, and I'm trying to be more and more like him, kids, yeah. right? So I think, one, it just starts by acknowledging that. Yeah. But then, two, I don't think it's enough to acknowledge it. We have to get into the practice. Yeah, we got to live it out in front of them. That's it. Well, you know, what is it? When Paul talks about being an example to Timothy, I think it's in 1 Timothy 4.12, he tells Timothy to set this example, and he gives him five areas where he should be an example. He says, you should be an example to the other believers in your speech, okay. in your conduct, your faith, your love, your purity. Wow. So as a dad, I, I kind of put that on myself. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to be an example to my kids, again, not perfect, but faithful, uh, live it out in front of them so they can actually see a Christian man chasing after Christ, see what that looks like. I think about my speech. I think about my conduct. I think about my faith, my love, my purity. C can they find those examples in me? for Christ, right? They need that tangible visual aid to know what it looks like to grow into a Christ-like man. Wow. Yeah. And I love what you said. It's about becoming who he's called us to be. Yeah. Right. And I tell my kids all the time, my wife tells them, look, it's not like your character growth is on pause until you turn 18 and, you know, do whatever you want. When you turn 18, let's start growing up and maturing at three, at five, at seven years old, you're becoming the people you're going to be. Like God is working on you. He's shaping you already. And that never stops, right? That's a lifelong journey. You and I, we're not done growing, hopefully. Uh, I love the verse Philippians 1, 6. He says, I am sure of this. I'm convinced of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's right. And I take great peace in that because I hope God's not done with me yet because I still right. see so many areas I need to grow in, so much sin That's in my it. life. And so I'm like, Lord, you started a good work. Don't end it. But I want my kids to see 
me growing to be more like Christ. Mm -hmm. I want them to see that sanctification, that maturing, and then for them to follow that example and say, okay, I'm going to grow closer to Christ my whole life too, and it'll never yeah. stop. So we beat back the monster of hypocrisy by, by professing, right, by practicing, yeah. and because I'm a good Southern Baptist, I love a little alliteration. Maybe the third P. Yeah, the, the third P. I had it. Hold on. Profess, we profess, practice, we, practice, we prioritize. Prior that's good. So we have that's to good. prioritize, right? And when I think about it, this is where it gets convicting in my own life. Hmm. You know, daily I'm asking myself, not just have I prioritized Jesus today? Because I think, and this isn't an arrogant statement, I, I, I think I do a good job of that, mm -hmm. or, or at least I'm mindful I'm trying. Yeah. What I don't do a great job is have I prioritized the things of the kingdom? Mm. That's where I think I'm falling short, right? Yeah. Like the things of this world have taken priority oh, over yeah. the things of the kingdom, man. And that's what I'm asking the Lord to kind of rid me of right now. That's yes, what I'm asking the Lord to kind of set me free from right oh, now. Yeah. And I think about, I, I love you talk about, you know, when the church house is open, like we need to be there. Yeah. I think about, man, am I prioritizing that? I was talking to a dad one time and he said, you know, my kids are 16, 17, 18 years old now and they don't want to go to church with me. And I said, well, what was it like when they were 8, 9, 10, and 11? Well, every other weekend was a travel soccer tournament. And I just, I lovingly looked at him and I said, well, for 10 years you taught them that going to a travel soccer game was more important than going to church. So why do you think church is a priority now? Yeah, that, that soccer took priority then. 100%. So church isn't going to be a priority now. No, that's right. So like even, um, I love, you know, you and I both, uh, we have opportunities to speak across the country. We're gone mm. a lot of weekends, yeah. right? Um, I love that when I'm gone. I don't love being gone, but I love that when I'm gone, like my kids still want to go to church. Yeah, they still are there. Yeah, because like I've ingrained that in them, man. When the church is open, we're there. Yeah, you, you've shown them that's a priority. It's a priority. And, and we do it in our own lives too. I struggle with this as well. You're talking about that kingdom focus, prioritizing kingdom things. So often we wake up and we have a to-do list. Mm. And that's our day. We've already decided this is how I'm going to spend my time. If God's going to give me a certain amount of hours today to invest, yeah. I'm going to invest it in this to-do list I have. Yeah. And so even in our prayer time, I know for me, a lot of times I go to the Lord in prayer in the mornings and I basically show him my to-do list. And I say, here's what I got going on today, God. I would love for you to bless it. Come on. Instead of going to him empty handed saying, all right, Lord, what do you have for me today? Yeah. You, you give me my to-do list. You give me my assignment. I think it was the Puritan John Bunyan. He says, when we fail to ch chase Jesus or seek Jesus in the morning, we scarcely find him the rest of the day. Come on. And so when my mornings start busy, my to-do list, calendar driven, I'm running the race, you know, without seeking the Lord, without depending on him, yeah. without going to him, what's your assignment for me today? By the end of that night, usually I look back and it's been all me. And oh, he didn't yeah. get the priority. Kingdom work didn't get, and our kids see that as well. Yeah. So that's convicting. I love what Spurgeon used to say in, in the morning. He would say, I have a lot to do today. Yeah. I should spend an extra hour in prayer. Instead of we say, we're so busy, I don't have time for prayer. That's he right. says, the busier I am, the more prayer I need. The more prayer I, I need. I love that. Man. So I love to beat back the monster of hypocrisy, man. We're yeah, we're professing, we're practicing, we're prioritizing something yeah. like prayer. Hey, that's a fourth P. I didn't hey, anticipate. Keep it going. Well keep done. it going. <laughs> I don't know how and long this prayer, train can go. And, and praise. <laughs> we got this all day. We got to find our purpose in the no, Lord. <laughs> come on. It just won't stop. Well, you know, you're talking about, you know, the, the prayer and prioritizing it. 
uh, I think it was two episodes ago, we did a show and we were talking about Deuteronomy 6 yeah. and that call to teach the word of God to our kids. But we said in that episode that it starts with us. Yeah. Because before God says in Deuteronomy 6, 7, teach the word of God diligently to your children, before that, he, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And these words I command you should be on your heart. Yeah. So if, as a dad, before I can sit down and disciple my kids, I see I have to prioritize my walk with Christ. Yeah. I have to love him. I got to be a great commandment Christian that loves him with all of my affections. I got to hide the word of God on my heart. And then I have something to pass down to my kids. Yeah. And when we do that, there isn't a gap between our you know, public persona and our private character. Yeah. When we're seeking the Lord and hiding his word on our heart, we lose that hypocrisy. We're the same outside on Sunday mornings as we are on Tuesday nights at our house. Our you know, house. we lose that hypocrisy. We're, we're one person. We have that pure, undivided heart, and, and our kids get to follow that example. Come on. You know what word comes to mind mm -hmm. when you're saying that? Preparation. Okay. <laughs> We're going to call this, we're going to call this like episode that. the eight P's, <laughs> the of, eight P's of, of, of beating back hypocrisy. <laughs> but seriously, I think of preparation. So, they asked, they asked Abraham Lincoln one time, if, if you had eight hours to cut down a tree, mm. what would you do? And he said, I'd spend the first six hours sharpening the ax. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Preparing to cut Preparing, down the tree, right? Ready. So, so if we're going to live this life of yeah. faithfulness, man, what are we doing yeah. uh, to prepare for that? Yes. And I, I did a show uh, a couple of months back where I read the book Same as Ever. Oh, no. And it's, it's an interesting book. I think it's Housel or Housers, his last name is a mm. New York Times guy. I'm not a believer, but he's a sociologist and he talks about how circumstances change, but like people's attitudes rarely do, mm. people's responses. But he talked about the state of California. And California is basically built on a fault line. So for decades, Californians tried to predict when an earthquake would happen. And in doing so, man, they lost lives. They lost hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Mm -hmm. Well, finally, somebody in the California government raises his hand and says, we know the earthquake's coming. It's inevitable. So why don't we just start preparing for it? And that's when they started building buildings like earthquake proof and you know training kids in school to get under the desk, right? And, and a lot of lives were saved. A lot of money was saved. Well, I read that. And immediately I go to Matthew 24, 25. Mm. Like the return of Jesus is imminent. It's coming. It's coming. It's inevitable. He didn't call us to be a people of prediction. He called us to be a people of preparation. That's good. Yeah, don't try to predict when he's coming back. Prepare for it. Prepare. So like I, I began asking myself, man, how am I preparing right now for King Jesus' return? Mm. And am right? I preparing my family? For that return, am I preparing my, my kids? Next thought goes. Right? Am I preparing my church? Right? Mm. My thoughts keep going. Okay, what are we doing to get ready? That's good. What are we doing to get ready? And one of the things we need to do to beat back hypocrisy, right? I always tell people, when I get to heaven, I don't want a whole lot of surprises. Mm. So, for example, I don't want to be playing a pickup game with Moses and Jesus. <laughs> Right. I can picture this. Right. And then after the game, Jesus start to tell a story, and it'd be the first time I've heard it. Hmm. Like, I want to know. Like, I want to hit the guy next to me and say, bro, this is where he turns the water into wine. <laughs> yeah, I've like, heard this watch story. this. Like, this is amazing, <laughs> right? Like, because I know it, That's right? Good. When Habakkuk walks in, like, I want to know him. Yeah, I'm like, bro, you. you're Habakkuk, right? Like, weren't you the guy that said, right? And I want to, I want to, and I, this confession, right? As a speaker, as a public communicator, 
there is no greater feeling when someone quotes you back to you. Mm. Like, like it's so good. Yeah. I want to do that to Habakkuk. He quoted that. <laughs> I want to do that to Elijah. That's I want to do that to Ezekiel. Come like, on. I'm like, bro, you're the guy that said, yeah. right? Isaiah, you know how many verses I've memorized from Isaiah? <laughs> I loved it. Right. Got a lot of questions, but I loved it, right? Yeah, yeah. No, so, that's good. Like, when I think about preparing my heart, when, yeah. when I think about preparation and beating back the monster of hypocrisy, man, am I getting up every day? Yeah. Am I saturated in prayer? Am I saturated in the Word of God? Right. Yeah. And you know, I think we shared a couple episodes ago. So I'm up early. Mm-hmm. I have toddlers. Right. My quiet times in 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 the morning. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if my kids ever like see me mm-hmm. in Bible study. Yeah. They've seen me read the Bible. They've seen me do family devotions. But I don't know if they've ever seen me with my Bible open with a commentary like highlighting. Yeah, just doing your devotion. Right, yeah. right, yeah. So one of the things I do is I write the scripture on the mirror. I love right? that. One of the things I do is I'm looking for an intentional moments. And one, I'm trying to teach them the word. Mm. But can I be honest? The other thing I'm trying to do is prove to them I know the word. Yeah, yeah. Demonstrate your love for the word of God. That's it. They bro. should see that. I mean, that's the thing is we have, and I can fall into this too. I think it's so easy as parents Every kid I talk to, if I ask them, what's your dad's favorite football team? They know. Come on. College, NFL, doesn't matter. They'll tell me. And most of the time, most of the time, that kid, if I ask them, what's your favorite football team? It's the same one. And so as dads, we're good at talking about sports. We're good about talking about football. We're even good about showing them our passion for it. We're good about passing that passion down, right? My kids, for better or for worse, they love the Dallas Cowboys Every Cowboys game, they wear their Cowboys shirts and Cowboys jersey. They got that from me. Definitely for worse. Definitely Definitely for worse. worse. It's been a hard couple of decades, right? (laughs) (laughs) But they, you know, I pass that passion for them down. And how much more important is it for them to see uh, us loving the Lord, pursuing Him, to hear us talking about Him? Like, shouldn't our passion for Christ be contagious far more than our allegiance to some sports team, right? It's got to start with us. In fact, that's what I would tell any father watching right now, if you're concerned about hypocrisy, if, if you're hearing this research and saying, I don't want my hypocrisy to, to, to drive them further away from the Lord as they get older, I think it does start with that personal devotion. Wow. I think it starts that private character saying, the way to not be a hypocrite in this is to actually have those passions and desires in my heart. And only Christ can cultivate that. So I spend time with the Lord, and He's the one that stirs up that love for God. He's the one that cultivates that passion so that when I talk about it in front of my kids, in front of others, I'm not being a hypocrite. It's real. This is coming yeah. out of my heart. I'm not yeah. faking it. This is really what the Lord has put in me, but it starts with just that sitting down at His feet and letting Him work on us, right? Yeah, it's who we are. Yeah. That's right. And then one of the things we do, and I'd encourage any family to do this, I know you write and talk about this, but we, we kind of have a family catechism. Mm, yeah. So we have questions and answers that our kids memorize. That's good. That both speak to scripture, speak to good theology. Mm. But the key is it's not enough for them to memorize that. Like they've got to see us practicing. That's it. good. So for example, my four-year-old, if he was standing right here and you said, Calvin, why did God make you strong? Mm. He would say to help the weak. That's good. Right. If you said, Calvin, why did God make you rich? you know, relatively. Yeah. He would say to help the poor. That's good. If you said, Calvin, why did God make you smart and capable? He would throw his hand up and say to bring him glory. I love that. Right. Right. And that's, you know, what's your only hope in life and death? He would say, I'm not my own. I belong Belong to to God. God. Right. Right. From Romans. Right. But 
you know, my kids memorize that. They say it. I began teaching them when they were two. We have seven to 10 questions that they memorize, right? Mm. But now what I love about this season as Calvin's turning five and Malachi's 10 and Scarlet's 12, they're actually seeing those things practiced. That's good. So, and they're starting to practice it. So think about that whole God made us strong to help the weak. Yeah. So I went and picked my kid up from school probably two months ago and his PE teacher comes out and she says, hey, I'm Mr. Harper, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, no. You know, he said, uh, it's Dr. Harper. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. right. I, I led with that. That's good. <laughs> um, uh, and she said, hey, today in gym, we had the three-legged race. Mm. And there's a kid in your son's class that some people pick on. He's a little overweight. He never has a partner. And she goes, I want you to know that when they were picking partners, I watched Malachi walk over to him put his arm around him and said, hey, man, I'll be your partner. And they ran the three-legged race together. And she goes, I want you to know how proud I am of your son. And that probably meant the world to that kid. Oh, my gosh. It meant the world to me. Yeah. Hearing it, right? Now, in, in my mind, now, if, if I told Malachi, hey, the strong help the weak, he'd be like, Dad, he's not weak. Like, he wouldn't mm. put two and two together yet because right. he's 10. But in my mind, bro, I'm like, oh, it's yeah. working. You're planting seed, and now it's you're seeing working. some of the harvest, the fruit from it's it. It's working. So it's the reason why when we're driving down the road and we see somebody broke down, mm. we pull over to help. Yeah. And Malachi says, Dad, why are we helping? Because we can. Because we can. Because the strong help the weak. That's so good. Right? When we can, we do it. It's the same way. I have a habit. If I'm walking somewhere, I don't care if I'm at church. I don't care if I'm at a restaurant. I'm at a meeting. Like if I see a piece of trash, bro, mm. I just pick it up and throw it away. Yeah. That's right? good. And my son asked me one time, Dad, why are you always stopping to pick up you know, other people's trash, basically? Yeah. Because, son, like I can make the world a better place. Yeah, and I can I do it. And when I see an opportunity, right here. I do it. I love that. And I love my friend at Prestonwood Christian School, Prestonwood Baptist. He heads up their biblical worldview department. He calls it the sock test. Hmm. So he said he has three older boys. He said, Chris, this is how I know my boys matured. He said, I would throw a sock out in the middle of the floor and they would just pass it, mm. right? And I'd ask them, hey, pick up that sock. And the response was always, it's not mine. It's not mine, Yeah, right? Yeah. He said, but at some point, they matured enough and developed enough where they just picked up the sock because they know it brings order and peace to the room. I'm trying that today. I'm <laughs> throwing socks left and right. My wife's going to be like, what are you doing? <laughs> My right. kids are be like, we saw you throw that down there. You get it. That's right. But That's I love right. that. Yeah, just can, can you... Meet the need that's there, but it starts with you teaching it and you modeling it. Huge. And then they live it out. That's right. They see you live it out. They hear you teach it. And it's not just one conversation, right? It's not like when they were four, you told them one time what to do. It's an ongoing teaching. It's an ongoing discipleship. Yeah. It's you living it out and then praying that when they have that opportunity, they'll be faithful too. And and, and oh, by that. the way, that's not a Jonathan Chris thing. Yeah. That's an example that Jesus gave it. Yeah. Taught it. Yep. model it, give Pass space it for them to go and do. Oh, yeah. Right, like you can't out-strategize yeah. that, bro. What was that like, one out there summarizing? He's like, it was first, watch me do it. Then it was, you know, come alongside me as we do it together. Then is I'm going to watch you do it. And then it's, I'm sending you out to do it. Right? That's it, right? And that's our, you know, our first show we did was talking about shepherding and sending. And, and that's the goal, right? Is that we are modeling this for them. We're shepherding them. Because one day we will send them out. That's it. You sent your kid out to PE class one day, not knowing this is going to be the day that he gets a chance to live out yeah. what I've been planting in his yeah. heart. Yeah, I see all these parenting books and all this stuff come through. And it's funny, I'll read it and I'll be like, 
Yeah, that's what Jesus did. Yeah. Like, like, oh, <laughs> anytime you find truth or wisdom, you're like, oh, yeah, that's because it's from Scripture. <laughs> that's so true, bro. <laughs> Which is why when I write, I just try to quote a lot of Scripture. I'm like, that's you don't it, need to man. hear from me, but yeah. the Word of God is powerful, so yeah. let me quote some Scripture. I had a seminary professor tell me one time, he said, Chris, if you're in the Word and you come up with a new idea or a thought... <laughs> He said, don't share it with anybody. I said, why not? He said, it's probably heresy. It's heresy. He said, if, if for 2,000 years, people infinitely smarter than you have not thought of it yes. yet, it's probably nothing. I got good. a new idea. Stop. Just stop. There's nothing That's to it. do. That's a good word. Oh, absolutely, bro. Like, I, like that resonated yeah. with me, man. Let's just stand on the timeless word of God. That's it, bro. Which, which is, you know, what our kids are exposed to. Our last session, we were talking about technology and yeah. 2,000 new apps a day and 3.7 million new YouTube videos a day, right? And so there are a lot of new things thrown at them. Yeah. But for us to keep coming back to that timeless word of God yeah. and say, look, I don't have something new for you but I have something life-changing for you. Yeah. You know, it's like when Jesus was teaching in John 6 and the multitudes left and deserted him because he had a hard teaching. And Jesus looks at Peter and the disciples. He says, are you going to leave too? And Come what on. does Peter say? He says, where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. Yes. That's what I'm praying for my kids is they'll see that passion in me. And one day when they're 18 or 20 and someone else is trying to tempt them to, to desert the Lord, to leave the Lord. I want them to have that conviction to say, where am I going to go? Yeah. This world can't give me what Christ can give me. Bro. He has the words of eternal life. No YouTube video is doing that, right? That's so good. It, but it starts with us teaching it and living it without the hypocrisy. And again, back to Smith's research, Christian Smith, when we do that, when we're consistent, the majority of the time we see faith passed down to the next generation. It's transferred. So good, man. Thinking about beating back the monster of hypocrisy, right? We've talked about professing it, talked about preaching it. We've talked about practicing it. We've talking about prioritizing it. Mm -hmm. And then what you just said, and I'm going to land the plane here. Hit it. Pointing them back to Jesus. It starts with P. I love it. <laughs> We're going to end with the alliteration. I love it. Yeah. Point them to Jesus. Point them always. And the, again, scripture, right? What does it say in Hebrews? Pay attention, right? Listen mm. to the testimony of the saints that have been before yeah, you, yeah. right? Lay aside all sin and weight that easily entangles, right? And imitate and their faith. That, that, that's Follow it. their example. He basically says, look, lay, and pay attention, right? I want to continue to point my kids to the saints that have come before us, Yeah. right? I want to point my kids to godly men and women today. Oh, yeah. But most, important, most importantly, I want to live a life of faith where I can look at my children and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. I love that. And to have enough courage to do that. Yes. How many men lack the courage to do that today? Yes. And again, it's not saying I'm perfect. No. It's not saying I got it all together, but it's saying I truly do. In my heart of hearts, I love Jesus. That's it. And in my heart of hearts, I'm trusting my life with them and I'm chasing them. And there's days where I blow it. But kids, if you'll follow me, big picture, what you'll see is a man who's chasing after Christ. That's it. And you and I, we, we do this, right? Like we can make a list of the people that God used in our lives to point us to Jesus. And all you're saying is we need to be that for our kids. When my kids are 30 and someone asks them, who pointed you to Jesus? Who modeled faith for you? Who, who showed you that example? I pray that I'm on that list somewhere. Come on. Right? That they'll say, you somewhere know. Somewhere near the top of yeah, it. Yeah, one of the people was my dad, yeah. right? Which right now we're not seeing that. Barna published a book, Households of the Faith, a couple years ago, all this research, and they were talking to teenagers, asking them questions like, who, who models the faith for you? Who points you to Jesus? Who shows this to you? And all the time, the number one answer on all their questions was mom. Number two answer was maybe grandmother, granddad. Yep. And then number three sometimes was friend. Or pastor, and sometimes his father. That's it. 
But I know your heart for Better Man Ministries and our heart for ourselves and our families is to see that man taking that lead, to see the fathers as the spiritual leaders. And to say, like you said, to have the courage and the boldness to lead their family like Joshua. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Kids, watch me. I'll point you to Christ. Yeah. So we talked about Eugene Peterson an episode or two ago, right? And again, I didn't agree with everything theologically that Eugene Peterson preached, but he has been a hero of the Mm. faith to me. Pastored the same church for nearly 30 years. Mm. A little church, 250 people, you know, died at his home in Montana. He was never a big celebrity preacher because he was kind of boring, Yeah. right? But a theological giant. So at his funeral, which was relatively recent, his son Leif spoke. And he started his talk with, for 30 years, my dad had you all fooled. He said, for 30 years, you all thought he preached thousands of sermons. He was only preaching one sermon. Mm. He said, you thought he wrote 40 books, but he only wrote 40 books. It was a secret, he said, that my dad let me in on when I was young. He said, every night my dad would sneak into my room and he would come over me. Mm. And he would whisper, son, I love you. God loves you. Mm. He's pursuing you. Yeah. And he's relentless. Come on. He said he would say that to me every night. And that was the message my father preached and wrote about for 30 plus years. The sermon that he needed, that we all need, that our kids need. So I guess, yeah, the question, are are we preaching that sermon to our kids? That's it, man. Are are we living it out? Are, Are we proclaiming it? Are we professing it, prioritizing all that, right? All that. And one of the questions I'm constantly asking myself, maybe every day at the end of the day, man, has my family, my wife, my children included, has my family become more like Jesus today because of me mm. or in spite of me? That's convicting, right? That's it. Yeah. That's it. And if I'm honest, man, some days it's in spite of me. Yeah. Some days it's in spite of me. But you know what? You said it. Those mercies are new every morning. Every morning. Man, I ask for, I confess, I ask for forgiveness. Yeah. And new grace, new mercies are coming, man. Well, and, and, and I put my hope in that. And how challenging to think one day, God willing, our kids will be speaking at our funeral. Come on. And just to wonder, you know, what's that going to be like? What would they say? What would they remember? What would they take away? Are they going to be talking about how my dad liked the Cowboys? Wow. Like, is that going to be their main takeaway? Yeah. Or are they going to be talking about how my dad loved Jesus? I, I remember this story when Martin Luther was pastoring in Germany in the 16th century. Another German pastor died. And Martin Luther went to the funeral. And many people got up and spoke. But Luther finally got up to speak. And he had the shortest eulogy. He stood up to speak. Here's what he said. What we preached... He practiced and then sat down. No wow. hypocrisy, just saying, this guy, the real deal. Let's go. He practiced what we preach. And that would be the prayer, right? And one day our kids can say, You heard my dad talk about Jesus. I'm here to tell you behind closed doors, man, he loved Jesus. He was and he taught us deal. to love Jesus and he pointed us to Christ. So, Dr. Williams, one of the phrases I heard growing up all the time, well, I, I heard two. Yeah. When my dad was upset with me, he would just always say, Boy, get in the truck. <laughs> And I knew at that point. Where would you go? It was bad. Boy, get in the truck. Like we'd be, I'd be out at work with him, or cutting the grass, or somewhere. Boy, get in the truck. That's like timeout. That's it, bro. Like it's over. Sit in the truck. Close the door. He's done with me. Boy, get in the truck. Don't roll down the window. No, man. Yeah, hundred degrees outside didn't matter. I'd be in there for thirty minutes or three hours. Boy, get in the truck. 
but the second thing I heard a lot was because I said so. Yeah. Do this. Well, why should I do this? Because I said so. And I think that phrase sometimes, one, it can be condescending, but two, it leaves little room for instruction. Yeah. Right? Which at the heart is the problem with because I said so. Yeah. Right? What do you think about that? Yeah. You know, I get it as a parent. Uh, there is this thing in us that we feel like because I'm your parent, you should obey me. Yeah. Like, that's the heart behind it, right? right? Like, do you really need another reason to obey me except that I'm your dad? And so I get the heart behind it, but I think you're right. I think we're missing something with that because I think we, we want to motivate obedience. We want to inspire mm, obedience. Come on. And we do that by communicating the reasons behind it, right? So if I tell my kids... No, you already had an hour of screen time. You can't have screen time right now. And they say, why? I could easily say, because I said so. Yeah. And honestly, my kids would probably just say, okay. Right. But then they're always going to be longing for more screen time. That desire is still there. So they don't, uh, they respect my rule because they're in my house. But the second they're out of my house, they're going to do their own thing. And they're going to, you know, binge watch eight hours of Netflix because they never learned the principle behind my rule. Now, if I take the time, like you said, to do some instruction. Say, well, let me tell y'all why I'm concerned about too much screen time. Here's what I've been reading. Here's some research we've seen. Here's what it's doing. Here's some other things it's taking you away from. When I share my heart on that, the hope is not just obedience. If them blindly obeying me is the hope, then because I said so is perfect. But if their heart changing is yeah. the goal, if my prayers, they start to see it that way, then we got to have those moments where you sit down and say, let me tell you why, you yeah. know, you want to know why we don't want you dating at this age? Let me share my heart on that. Yeah. We have some real concerns about that. And the prayer is by the end of that, they start to see it that way. Yeah. And, and the next time he doesn't ask for extra screen time, he turns it off, even though he has a little left over yeah. because he gets it now. Yeah. And so I, I think that's what we're missing is that heart change. Yeah. And you said it before, instead of starting with the rule, you're starting with the relationship. Yeah. And really that was the heart of God. The Bible has a lot of rules in it. Yeah. A lot of commands, but also it has a lot of good instruction. It has yes. a lot of encouragement. Yes. It has a lot of relational aspect between us and God. And when God tells us to do something or when God tells us not to do something, mm. it's not because he's some sort of dictator. Right. It's because he has our best interest at heart yes. because he knows more than anything else and anyone else, what's best for us Yeah. because he made us, Yes. right? And it's really the same thing with our children. I want my kids to know, even if I do say, because I said so, the impetus behind that is because I know what's best for you because mm. I love you yes. more than anybody else in this world. I am for you. I love, I'm not trying to keep you from a fun thing, but maybe I'm trying to protect you from something. And even mm. you talk about Jesus' example, throughout the scriptures, there's this theme of not just hearing the word of God, but understanding it. That's so right. God doesn't just give us his commands and his word and say, live it out. He, he brings us to a place through the spirit of understanding. That's right. And, and so when our kids ask for that understanding, give me the reason behind this. I think it does it serves them well for us to sit down and say, all right, let me share my heart behind it. Let me share some scriptures. Yeah. I want to bring you to a place of not just obeying it, but understanding why. That's right. Because then maybe we'll see a heart change in you to where, you, you want to obey that even when I'm not around. That takes intentionality. Yeah. That takes time. That mm -hmm. takes effort. It's easy to say because I said so. Yeah. Or the opposite, it's easy to consent because you don't want to deal right. with anything. Or right? what's the other famous phrase for dads is go ask your mom. Oh, come on. Right. They ask you a question. You kind of want to say no, but you don't want to deal with it. Yep. You don't necessarily want to just give in either. 
So you send them to your wife thinking she'll have the hard talk. She'll tell them no. That's she'll it. be the bad guy and they won't interrupt that's the show right. I'm watching. But that's just as lazy oh, and bro. detrimental I, to the family. Bro, that's that Adam Eve yes. syndrome, bro. Yeah, exactly. Lord, the woman did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You put her here. <laughs> yeah. Instead yeah, of, yeah. No yeah that, that's a chance to lead, right? Chance to lead. That's what it comes down to. It does. Good leadership. Yeah. Are you spiritually leading your family? That's it. I'm going to start praying that. And I want the dads listening to start praying that. Father, help me be the real deal. Come on. I want our children, I want our wives, I want our friends, I want our congregants, whoever. Yeah. I want them to say, man, yeah, he was the real deal. He's a real deal. He's a real deal. Brother, yeah. thanks for being with us. Thanks, today. Chris. Thanks, brother.